Hello and welcome to Global Digital Futures Podcast, brought to you by the SOAS Coding Club. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera, and you're listening to SOAS Radio. This week, we welcome Professor Victor Murinde from the Center for Global Finance to discuss technologies of financial inclusion in low-income countries. The Center for Global Finance explores megatrends in global finance and how they impact on development in the international financial system and the world economy. The research via the centre aims to significantly extend the existing body of knowledge on finance, stability and growth. This can help identify the drivers of growth in emerging economies and the issues that lead to financial crashes. Professor Victor Murinde is a financial economist with more than 25 years expertise mainly in academia, policy and consultancy roles for governments and leading international organisations. He was the founding director of African Development Institute at the African Development Bank in 2011 until 2014, and Professor Murinde is currently the principal investigator of a large research project on delivering inclusive financial development and growth. And he's also a co-investigator on research on China's financial systems towards sustainable growth and the role of innovation, diversity and financial regulation. This is jointly with colleagues at SOAS University of London and Nankai University Tianjin and Zhejiang University Guangzhou in China. So, hello, Professor Murinde. Yeah, hello, Jibo. Thank you for joining us today. I attended the address on the digitization of the Ghanaian economy given by VP Mahamadou Baumia, where you spoke about three steps to financial inclusion. Could you tell us more about this and about how this relates to your research? The research is related to a new research center called the Center for Global Finance, which is located in the School of Finance and Management within SOAS University of London. And the research uh, involves financial inclusion as one of the key uh, research ideas being explored by over 80 researchers all over the world. By financial inclusion, we mean the opportunities available to households and opportunities available to companies, especially small and medium enterprises, of being able to access finance and also be able to use that finance for, in the case of households, for being able to meet their daily needs, for also being able to smoothen their incomes, and for companies to be able to finance further investment and further growth. And why would you say this work is important today with reference to financial inclusion in low-income economies? This work is very important for low-income countries, but also for industrial countries, uh, because for a long time, for more than 50 years, access to finance has not always included every sector of society. So in every society, including the UK, uh, there are segments of society who are unable to access some certain types of finance. Either they are turned down because they don't have collateral, or they are turned down because they don't meet a certain income threshold. Uh, small companies are turned down, again, uh, because they don't have big collateral, uh, security to be able to access loans. There has always been some amount of what you can call financial exclusion. Of course, in developing countries, it is more acute. So you have small companies growing up with aspirations of providing employment and livelihoods, but being actually unable to survive because of lack of finance. In fact, in our research, we say there is a valley of death. The valley of death is that small companies disappear. They die within the three years of their foundation. It's what we have established empirically. And so we argue that one way of survival, avoiding the valley of death within the first three years, is to find mechanisms of being able to be funded and how to use this fund 
demands and also how to be able to mitigate against the risks these companies face. And then they are able to grow, provide incomes for the company holders, for to be able to provide jobs, for especially for the youth. And so financial inclusion is really a big opportunity uh, for companies and for households. And it is a, a game changer. And this is why our research is very much into it. And I think so as we are very lucky to get involved in this uh, game-changing research. Great. And how is the digital aspect playing into all of this? How would you say digital economies, financial technology and financial trends are intertwined? Absolutely. In fact, digital economy is a very important component, an integral component of uh, financial inclusion. You see, with the digital economies and especially, say, with fintech, you are looking for mechanisms of using technology to be able to generate new financial products. Uh, for example, give you an example of our important case studies and we're working closely in Kenya. They had what you call Mupesa. Mupesa was being able to use mobile technology of a mobile phone uh, to be able to transfer money between a person working in the capital city and their relatives way down in the rural where there are no bank branches. So these people were financially excluded because there were no banks or there are another financial institution serve them. Of course, now it is relevant because what happens is that you can be in Nairobi and within a, a second, you're able to transfer a some amount of money, maybe 10 pounds, 20 pounds or more to the person living in the rural. This is the use of financial technology. Now, digitalization, which Ghana is doing very well, is taking this exercise to a whole new level whereby basically with the vice president, Baumia, is trying to actually make sure that all operations in the economy, both by private sector and governments, are digital. And that ensure the efficiency. Instead of spending four weeks chasing a payment, this can be done in one minute. Yeah, and that's efficiency. As you say that, I'm thinking about how government and private sector play together when it comes to the economy and financial technologies. So what types of government policies need to exist to encourage these innovations that lead to greater financial inclusion? And what role does the private sector play? Uh, Yes, you're absolutely right, spot on, that both the government sector and the private sector must work hand in hand. By private sector, we mean households, that is you and I, and then companies which are trading as private companies. So the government critically is important in giving a go ahead the way Ghana has done by being able to provide the necessary infrastructure in terms of communications, in terms of uh, the equipment that is necessary, uh, freeing up satellite communication that um, the companies can hook into. So the infrastructure there, but most importantly, Importantly, the policy framework is there. Okay, so the enabling environment in terms of the right policies are there because the wrong policy could kill this technology innovation. It could even kill diffusion of technology. Diffusion is the rate at which the technology spreads from household to households, from company to companies, from country to country. So if you tax, for example, if you impose a tax on this technology, it will just wither. So governments can have an enabling policy environment, which means that it provides incentives for private companies, for households to go digital and to use the technology. So it becomes incentive compatible for a small company, say, starting up on manufacturing, say, shoes or on a starting um, a manufacturing, say, clothes or even a small company baking bread and supplying to rural schools. OK, so that means that it, it's able to send information very quickly that we're supplying for lunch in one of the schools, 20 rows, and then the invoice 
and get payment on the same time. The tomato growers are working with the vegetable sellers in the capital city and they make the payments in the morning and they collect the other payments uh, in the evening without actually actually going physically to go and collect because that's done on the phone. So business is boost. And when business boosts, of course, incomes go up, aspirations go up. And this is what economic growth is all about. And how do governments fund such programs? That was one of my questions uh, yes, during yeah. the talk. You know, yeah. is it through the innovation that you find means of creating and developing despite funding, or how are they managing this? Yes, government funding, in terms of the classical public finance as an economist, is about priorities and choices. Every government faces one one million choices and the things to do prioritize. So the first thing, number one, is prioritize investment into the infrastructure for digitalization or for financial technologies. That priority is uh, particularly important. But in the case of Ghana, the main innovation is that they invest not only in technology, they invest in education, which brings up the human capital. So those priorities, for example, investing in education, allowing, say, secondary school, free secondary school are available, sometimes free university education, that is a choice. It means there has to be a sacrifice. But in actual fact, in the long run, the government is able to gain. Because, for example, when more individuals say, suppose you have a population of 40 million. If you are focusing in five years, one million of those will be employed. They are all going to be paying tax. They're going to be contributing to the economy. And so the tax revenue and other benefits from these people being employed is higher and is able to finance other aspects. So it's a matter of just clever planning and long-term perspective. So you mentioned one of the fintech innovations, which is Impesa. Yes. How is the diffusion of the technologies achieved and at what rate? I think with Impesa, you have your high mobile penetration in Africa. But yeah, are there any other examples that you can offer? Uh, yes, indeed. Quite, um, uh, quite so many examples in fintech. As some of the work we are doing through randomized control trials, these are experiments that we do in the field and we do some in Ghana, some uh, in Ethiopia, some in Rwanda. So all the researchers involving the students of SOAS are involved in this. That's why it becomes a very important aspect. But through this, uh, we are able to embark on new technologies and new financial technologies, new financial instruments. For example, when you hear about fintech, this is the way of starting a business. Through, for example, suppose this was fintech for vegetable growers in a given area or cocoa farmers in Ghana or coffee farmers in Ethiopia. The fintech involves being able to have a registration code. So you have uh, on your system, say, 50,000 growers and these are now connected through an app. With that app, they are able to communicate. They are able to determine the prices at which they sell. Even if you go back there, for example, to get inputs, they bargain collectively. They get inputs at almost half the price. They get assistance through a bank, and these apps are developed together with some commercial banks. So it's not on us intellectually, but also the private commercial banks that get involved. And then through this app, the farmers are able to, to get together and get inputs. In selling, they are able to negotiate a better price. They're able to get delivery to the market. But much more importantly, we're now developing a new app. In fact, on Friday at Loughborough University, we're discussing how this app would work. It's about insurance, how the cocoa farmers are going to be insured. 
Because for a long time, financial exclusion meant that unless you have money to put up uh, a, the premium, the first payment, just like you do in a car, then you can't get insurance. So you can't get car insurance. You can't get life insurance. We use a mathematical principle to reverse that formula. So you don't have actually to put up anything up front. So we are able to be able to uh, distribute the expected kind of payments and develop an app that can enable coffee farmers insured. So that insurance product is what we are working at the moment and is now being practiced and could be rolled out in a very short time. And when you're developing such fintech, is it very much localized to a particular situation? Or when you said that it could be then rolled out, do you mean across the a region or across the continent? Because maybe there's different local contexts. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You are right. You uh, read it very, very, very well. We understand it very well. You know, first of all, to the, the technology is better developed by being localized because you understand the conditions, you understand the behavior of our individuals and once it's perfected the second stage is diffusion the diffusion, the transfer from one to another and the adaptability will also require some kind of understanding the conditions. This is why for example you find financial inclusion rates vary within the region. If you take West Africa, for example, take Southeast Asia, among countries, there are differences in two things. One, the extent of diffusion, how much they have accumulated. And secondly, the speed of diffusion. So yes, there is need for adaptability. These technologies should not be adopted without being oriented to the conditions under which they were to, uh, to work. So you did also mention infrastructure, giving Ghana as a really great example. What would you say are the priorities in some of the other countries? I mean, mm. education is definitely a big one, but also things like electricity, that's quite vital to technology and even owning a cell phone. Yeah, what are some other priorities in terms of infrastructure and what are the possibilities and challenges of developing those infrastructure? Yes, absolutely. Uh, infrastructure and especially the communications infrastructure, mm-hmm. this is very, very, very important. And governments are in a position to be able to have those huge investments. Sometimes the required investment might exceed the resources available with a country. So there is need for regional efforts to be able to invest in, for example, satellite technology, may invest be a regional venture because the region can share the benefits. But it's another twist. If governments can only provide 30 or 40 percent or 50 percent or 60 percent of the required investment, the private sector can be able to mobilize. And then you have that what is called public-private partnerships, PPP. These public-private partnerships and whereby uh, the government is able to mobilize, uh, say, 60 percent and then calls out to interested private sectors to be able to co-invest in this facility and share out the benefits. And that also we make sure that private sector who have resources to be deployed can actually deploy them fruitfully, gainfully, given a good amount of return. Yeah, it's quite interesting that it all does come back to creating the right environment in terms yes. of policies. Yes, yeah. yes. So what are some of the metrics and measures to monitor and evaluate the achievements of these financial inclusion projects, even research, especially taking into consideration what we said about localised differences? This is critical. The metrics, the measures, very simple way of recording the information and then monitor progress. In financial inclusion, you could start from the lowest measure. For example, how many households are able to access finance? 
how many have say a bank account how many have mpesa this electronic account because these also accounts have mpesa accounts so this becomes the like the ownership of the account but what about the use how many households have been able to borrow and make transactions how frequently so these are is the numbers that can be collected by anybody who is literate you know anybody can read and write can collect those numbers central institutions at central banks or even village committees can collect this information and then compare at the regional level in my view we could even go higher in terms of monitoring financial inclusion for example how many developing countries say in africa have been able to float bonds on global capital markets in London and New York and Tokyo this is about sir government debt you see the financial exclusion goes to the country level where you find that some countries cannot be able to sell bonds on the global market and they have the resources and so forth but why not that's a form of financial exclusion so you globally we should be able to design metrics beyond the households and companies and as you say that what are the reasons why you have this national financial inclusion is there also an aspect of technology or lack of technology in that because there is such a thing also as a digital divide right yeah. the western countries or certain countries that are advanced in that respect you know and some eastern countries as well and some global south countries that are not advanced in that respect does this play into the financial inclusion on the national level i think that the, the digital divide plays an important role at the global level to an extent also at the national level yeah. but at the national level there are also other factors that play a role you know for example there could be some type of uh, limited gender issues gender access for example in some countries the gender ownership of assets is not equally or very very conspicuous so you find the assets are owned by a man why Ghana is different assets are owned by a woman so so that, that those are gender issues are very important education issues are very critical is that uh, maybe somebody cannot be able to read the phone or call the text message something like that so uh, the, the illiteracy um, it could play an important role that's why they has to be a combined you know holistic approach to being able to deliver financial inclusion how would you say that a country develops a business ecosystem to sustain economic growth in the digital age yes this this is a very very important and critical question a, the country has to develop an ecosystem it's not one thing that can make the change it's a number of considerations you know for example if you are lifting the availability of banks and there has to be non banks for example insurance companies provide life in and other types of of insurance you have to provide facilities for mortgage provision of being able to acquire those assets you have to provide facilities for companies to be able to issue bonds they can borrow issuing bonds rather than have from the commercial banks in addition the ecosystem includes things like if you invent make an invention is your invention protected with with a patent are the marketing skills and facilities being available can you be able to access markets is the transportation being available from where you are producing it could be pineapples or potatoes or it could be also hardware is there transportation are there means of payment mechanism to be able to collect your local resources can you export all these these are important ecosystems that uh, together they should be in place now it happens gradually 
Okay, so we all start somewhere. And paying attention to all these, then the ecosystem actually strengthens and improves. So you find that more developed economies with more ecosystems, that, but Rome was not built in a, in a day. And our final question, what do you envision for the future of financial technologies in Africa? Maybe there's some particular projects or ideas or innovations that you're like really excited about. This is my best. You see, what is so interesting is that Mopesa, the technology of human transfer, was actually invented in Kenya and dispersed the rest of the world. It's actually a game change from previous whereby technologies are made in industrial countries and transported to developing countries. But here was the one singular case where technologies are being developed. So basically we watch this space. There are a lot of transformations in Africa. There is new made in Africa products being, you know, transported to the rest of the world. A, um, Africa's growth investments, the 10 out of the fastest growing countries in the world were in Africa a couple of years ago. That's the African growth narrative. So I think the potential for growth of digitalization and financial technologies in Africa are the highest in the world. I can support that even with theory, in economic theory. Yeah. Uh, for those who might know, it's called endogenous growth theory. Here you are saying that countries which are low can go at a fast speed and then converge and take over. Yeah. Countries which are already you know, at the highest are growing only very slowly because the, the room, the headroom for growth is already exhausted. We have higher headroom, headroom say, in Africa, and that is where the opportunities lie. So just watch this space, I would say. Thank you so much, Professor Murinde. Such amazing insights, and I feel really excited about what's to come. Discover more about this topic by accessing the following resources available in the show notes on our website. Discover more about the Centre for Global Finance on their website, www.centerforglobalfinance.org. Follow them on Twitter at CGF SOAS and learn more about them on their YouTube channel. Watch the video AXA Chair of Global Finance at SOAS University of London. Read about the Centre for Global Finance's research project, Inclusive Finance, Delivering Inclusive Financial Development and Growth on the new and expanding research on financial inclusion and the link between inclusive financial development and economic growth, read Financial Inclusion and Economic Growth. What do we know? On the research workshop held at Loughborough University by the Centre for Global Finance and the School of Business and Economics at Loughborough University, read Delivering Inclusive Financial Development and Growth Research Project, a workshop in honour of Professor Christopher J. Green. There is a feature on the Distinguished Guest Lecture the Drive Towards Building a Digital Economy in Ghana, which was held at SOAS in Term 1. It is on Graphic Online. Read Ghana is on the right path. And to find out more about the projects to digitize the Ghanaian economy, visit the website of the National Builders Corp, where you can find more information on Teach Ghana, Feed Ghana, Heal Ghana, Digitize Ghana, Civic Ghana, and Enterprise Ghana, the various projects. The East which payment system is an innovative method for improving accessibility to banking and retail services in Ghana. Visit their website. And you can learn more about m 
Visa, the pioneering mobile money transfer technology, also on their website and available in the show notes. For academics and practitioners working on financial inclusion and fintech, you can submit papers for the Centre of Global Finance Conference of the same name, which will take place on the 25th and 26th of March 2019 at SOAS University. Find the link in the show notes. For more information on the degree programmes in the School of Finance and Management at SOAS University, visit the website also in the show notes. You can find us online at www.soascodingclub.com. Follow us on Facebook at SOAS Coding Club and on Twitter at SOAS Coding Club. And join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag Global Digital Futures. We broadcast every two weeks, so tune in to discover what's to come in Global Digital Futures. (laughs) 